Hello, and welcome to the Catalyst Women podcast. I'm Danielle Wingate, and we are a community of women who are pursuing truth, purpose, and freedom. We're so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to session two on the Fighting for Freedom series. I'm Danielle, and I'm so thankful that you're here, and I'm excited to dive into the content for today's topic, which is um, the second chapter really of the book, and it's all about the woman and the warrior. It's interesting because when I started writing the book, I had uh, no intention of writing a chapter all about women. It really wasn't intended to be like its own thing. And, and the more that I kept studying and the more that I kept reading about scripture and the more I kept thinking about things and um, <clears throat> I just, I, and I had other people even read the chapter and they encouraged me to <laughs> just dedicate a whole chapter to it. And I'm so glad that they did because I really believe at my core, there is something really powerful about women. And I think the enemy uses this specialness about women as a tactic of distraction and deception. And we have played into it. Um, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But last week for um, the first session, we talked about that Satan chose to tempt Eve first with the fruit. And as I was writing, I began really thinking like, why Eve? Why, why um, you know, like Adam would be like, Adam was probably stronger, like wouldn't that have made sense in a, in a natural mindset to like take out Adam and then Eve follows. And I, I kind of started to see this picture in my mind and obviously there, there's no scripture to support this. So this is just me kind of like thinking through this, but um, <clears throat> so Satan knew, right. That Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the garden, the tree of um, knowledge of like, good and in evil, and that it would cause them to die. God said, you will surely die. And so you can tell that Satan had been studying them for a while. And I began to think like they were probably familiar with seeing maybe a serpent, even that they began to not be necessarily even alarmed, but just that, oh, well, that thing that's there, like so much so that Adam wasn't right beside Eve, or if he was, he didn't say anything when Satan did tempt her. And then obviously Satan tempts Eve first. And a part of me wonders if there was this deeper sense of contempt, this deeper sense of hate and disdain towards Eve, because she represented something once she was created. You see, when, when God created Eve from Adam's side, there was now this first institution born, and that was of marriage. And that institution, the bond of marriage between a man and a woman is the example that God will use throughout the rest of the Bible to represent the love that he has for his people of Christ and his bride, the church. And it's a sacrificial love. Like there's something so special about this bond between man and woman. There's something so special about this covenant of marriage. But Eve represents this wholeness, this completion that didn't 
previously exist with Adam. And so I can only imagine that there was this deep sense of both curiosity and contempt for Eve to know that she was this missing link, that she was this missing piece to this puzzle or this equation. She was the last final thing that God said, now I'll rest. And I think it was just beautiful um, that that's what God chose of, of any picture he cre could create. He chose a man and woman, husband and wife to represent this covenant. Maybe you've heard uh, the term helpmate before that women were to be um, the helpmate in marriage. And growing up, I always thought it was a little bit of a derogatory term. And I really kind of struggled with it that I was like, I don't want to just be somebody's helper. Like I, I kind of, I just, but I was, I was wrong. It, the term was not help mate. It was help meet and help meet is actually, it's uh, in the Hebrew, it's called, I believe the phrasing is Ezer Kenogdo. And so Ezer Kenogdo is translated to somebody who responds to one who cries aloud for help, one who rescues or saves. What's really fascinating is as we dive into those two phrases, they're used seven times throughout the rest of the Bible. And some of it is that it's a military term used. And some of it is actually that it is a term that God uses to describe himself. And so if we take a step back and we actually begin to assess this text and in the context, it, it is not by any means a weaker or lesser value. It's not by any means a lesser role to just be a helper to somebody, but it's actually I believe this terminology that paints a beautiful and strong visual of the purpose and role that we carry as women, both in the physical and an emotional context, that we go to wherever people are. We're not bound by limits. We're not bound by fear, but we could do this, you know, like on the sidelines, we could do it on a battlefront. Like we can go and respond to whoever is in need of help. Whoever is crying aloud, just to say, even from a rescue standpoint, um, to come alongside of them in any scenario that we have the ability to be responsive to that in our own strengths, like in, in our own ways, like it's not limiting, but I just think it just is, it's actually a broadening term. And so, you know, when we think about that, there's this, this piece that man and woman are created as equals. And yes, the man is the head of the house and we can unpackage that at another time too. Um, and there's beautiful structure and purpose in that. And, um, I, I really did struggle. <laughs> the joke still like Chris will joke, like, you know, I struggle with submission, but there is a biblical, a spiritual submission that it is, it is a really beautiful thing to see it like played out. Um, and I know that God honors that. And so we can talk about that. That's not for this. That's not for this episode. I'm going to try and stay on course. But one of the things that I write about in the book is that Chris and I will call each other teammates. And we think about this sometimes. We'll talk about it that we'll see each other like as if we were running on a track. And Chris and I are both Enneagram threes. And so we're both achievers. And if we are running side by side on a track, 
um, it's really easy sometimes to get in each other's lanes. So um, when I get in his lane, it's um, really frustrating. It's really ineffective and uh, nobody runs well because I'm in his lane. If he runs in my lane, then I'm frustrated. There's bound to be miscommunications. There's bound to be resentment or bitterness because dude, you're in my lane. Like you have your lane. And when we trust each other to run in our own lanes, it's really beautiful because we can kind of see each other. We could admire each other. We can cheer each other on. But the other thing that happens when you're running together with somebody, you keep better pace because you're able to see their steps. You're able to push farther than maybe you would have on your own because you can see how they're running and how they're doing. And you can just be challenged and encouraged by them. And that's kind of how it is even in marriage is that we don't need to compete. And so we have done, I think, a really poor job, a huge disservice in the voice of equality. And I'm all for equality. I am all for fair treatment, fair pay, fair benefits. Like I'm all for that. Um, but equality has to be equality for all and even for men. And so we don't get to win as women. We don't get to win in the name of equality by competing or putting men down. We need them to own their masculinity with um, honor and respect for sure, but we need them to be masculine. We need them to run in their lane, just like they need us to be whatever our version of feminine is and own our, our womanhood with great pride and confidence because we have different strengths. And when we bring ours to the table, when we run in our lanes, there is a mutual respect and trust that can be built, that we can cheer each other on, that we can, um, almost essentially borrow like, Hey, you know, like this scenario, um, this is really an area that you're probably going to shine. Why don't you go for this? Or, you know, and then again, if you're getting to shine in your strengths, like we're all winning together. Um, I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background, but he's decided <laughs> this is the moment that he wants to scratch and roll around. Um, but anyway, I was just thinking that like, if God, wanted like there to just be only men, he would have just made it another Adam, like another Adam, just with a different personality, but he didn't do that. And so there's just this beautiful thing. And in, in, in the, in the context of competition, um, I want to tell you a term that we talk about in the military and it's battle buddy. And military spouses use this term when your soldier has gone downrange or deployed, you are encouraged to find, which is like your battle buddy, which essentially is your person during the deployment that you just are fully honest with, that you know that they're going to have your back, that they're going to encourage you, that this is the person who you're like, if you're having a bad day and you're kind of just feeling at the end of it, that you're like, I cannot do this deployment they're going to encourage you. They're going to be a voice of reason. They're going to be an anchor for you in the midst of the storm. And it's a really beautiful thing because, um, you can't, you can't have authentic community if you're not willing to be vulnerable. And if you're not willing to be vulnerable, you don't get to build a deep relationship and, sh and, and have like this amazing connection with another female because, you know, you haven't even shown up to it. And so, in that aspect, um, having a battle buddy is just so, so powerful. And so even in our own lives, um, I think sometimes it's so easy for us to compete with other women, 
but really if you if we think about this like we're on a battlefield and we think about the term and how we're responding to those in need those who are in need of saving or crying aloud and help like we need each other we need other women that we can say i get this i know because um i love my husband but there are some things i call my best friend for and she knows exactly like before i've even finished explaining you know morgan will be like oh oh i get it i exactly know where this is going and there's just this different type of bond and relationship and i'm so grateful for it but it's in that uh authenticness and the vulnerability that there's also a refining that there's this accountability that makes me better, that continues to anchor me in the storms and in the seasons of marriage and the seasons of parenting. And I think that that is really powerful when we're able to show up with other women, to cheer them on, to champion them, to hold them accountable and to earn a seat at their table. And so if you have that, I just want to um, just tell you like, that's fantastic. And if you don't have that, then I would love to encourage you to just be in praying for that because it is something really crucial to just know that you have at least one person that you can just show up. Uh, Another woman, it cannot be a man. Um, Having best guy friends are really great, but if you are married or even if you're not married, cultivating godly female friendships and that that other person can just be your like battle buddy, essentially, that you know that they're going to be an anchor for you in tough times and that they are going to be there as your constant. So in closing, I would love to just encourage you to think through some things with me. Um, The enemy has always operated in the strategy of deception. It's how he operated in the garden with Eve and his strategies don't change. So the way that I see deception and distraction show up best in my life, and the way I've always seen it in my life, is that it's always rooted in lies. So in the book, we talk about this in every single chapter, but replacing the narrative. So at some point in some way along our lives, we began to accept lies that we either heard, felt, but we received them as truth somewhere along the lines. And so I wrote through this, that lies will always trap us, diminish us and isolate us. Lies distance us from what God is doing and what he has done. Every hurt or limitation in our lives is rooted in a lie for the enemy. When we believe a lie, we allow it to distort behavior by distracting us, limiting us and distancing us from who God is and what he is doing. So lies can sound like a series of things. And in the book, I actually, in chapter two, give 10 examples of what lies can sound like. So I'll just go ahead and give you one or two of them. But so number one, here's the first lie. No one will ever understand. And then you fill in the blank and because no one else struggles with this. So we believe that nobody will understand what we're going through. And we believe that nobody else is struggling with it. Lie number two. If people knew the truth about this, they would not like or accept me. They would think that I was fill in the blank. This dog, come on, buddy, just lay down. 
And then line number three, I will always be this way. My mom was like this. Her mom was like this. It's just who I am. So maybe you begin to write off um, change. Maybe you begin to write off hope or a different tactic scenario because you have seen it played out with your mom. You've seen it playing out with your grandmother or just a full family line. There are so many more, but these are some very basic lies from the enemy, lies that we fall into, lies that keep us bound. And most importantly, they are statements that we have somewhere along the lines partnered with that are not from the Lord. And so if they're not from the Lord, then we are receiving them as truth. And it's dangerous because it's now going into our minds, the way that we think it's impacting the way that we're speaking. And then it's going to be even impacting the decisions that we are making. So Throughout the rest of the book, what we are going to dive into is how we replace those narratives and how we fight the right fight. But with that being said, um, the way that we're fighting, it matters. And so if you are navigating um, whatever you're navigating in your life, one of the first things to do is just begin to assess what lie am I believing? Where did this come from? Because who we think the problem is maybe what we think the problem is, um, is not the real enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And if we don't understand the root of it, if we don't understand the foundation of who the enemy is, why he hates us and what the fight is against, then we will forever be fighting the wrong thing. And we cannot bring freedom and hope to people if we are stuck in bondage ourselves. So um, I just want to close with Galatians 5.13. And it is one of our uh, battle scriptures, I guess you could say for Catalyst Women. And uh, Galatians 5.13 says this, you, my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So we have been called to freedom and we can't give what we don't have. We can't pour from an empty cup. And so today, what I would just want to encourage you is whatever you're going through, whatever you're navigating, I want you to just pause and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you don't have a minute now, find a space where you have five, 10 minutes to begin this process. But I want you to stop. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just pray and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you truth. What has happened in your life? Maybe what lies have you unknowingly partnered with? What lies are you believing? What is holding you back? What spirit of offense has just rested on you that you're just really struggling with that you just can't seem to break free from either a toxic thought pattern, a toxic pattern of behavior? Like, what is it? And, and then what I want you to do is I want you to just write it down. I want you to get it out because you can't fix something that you don't know isn't the problem. And so, for example, maybe the problem, like, I'll give you an example. So for me, I really believed for a long time, I am not worthy of love. I am not, I'm not worthy of love. And I just believed this lie. And that's how the thought process would sound. And then it would manifest in just crazy emotional roller coasters. It would um, just manifest in just ridiculously dramatic responses. It would manifest in fear and um, over control of relationships. 
And when I really began to pray through and ask the Lord to reveal to me the root of it, ask the Lord to show me lies that I had partnered with, the Holy Spirit sweetly brought me back to this moment when I was 15 and when I had hit um, just a really low point in my life. And when um, a substitute teacher at our private school shared some um, of her opinions about me that I um, was an embarrassment and that she would be ashamed of me if she was my mom. And she said a few other things and, and there's more to the story. I go into it in the book, but I realized I received all of those opinions and those were her opinions. And I don't, I don't know if this woman even really knew Jesus. like, I don't know, but, um, I was, I was trying for years and years after that to feel and fill this brokenness, this hurt and this disappointment and this worth problem, but it actually wasn't anything of me. It was her opinion. And yet I received them and I partnered with this lie. And then out of that lie, I was operating, living, working, striving out of brokenness. And so once I went back and realized that's where it came from, and I asked the Lord to heal it, I forgave her and I just released that. And it didn't necessarily mean that that was the only time I had to do it. But once I did, I then was able to take that and say, okay, that's a part of my story. And Lord, I'm going to give this to you to redeem this. What do you want to do with it? Because you didn't allow me to have that experience for nothing. So now I'm going to take this. I'm going to do something with it to give you glory, to give you honor for you, for who you are, because I am enough. That's actually what your word says. And if I truly believe for Galatians 5.13 that I was called for freedom, then how can I now take this and help other women not get trapped in bondage, in lies, and in offense or in hurt like I was for all those years. So that's session two. Thank you for joining us today. And I just want to remind you, you are a warrior and I just want to encourage you never stop training. <laughs>